Tonight we will be in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, so go ahead and turn there if you would. So we'll be ready uh, to go through this chapter tonight. Uh, We are looking at Solomon's purpose here in the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, that we can live a meaningful life. He has gone through the, the book here taking us on a tour around the things of life and showing us what is vanity, what is hevel, what is uh, there, but uh, we we may think it's there, but it's not. We reach out and we try to grab hold of these things. And I I think it is a a feeling we can resonate with, that it seems like we, we might find meaning in this activity or this possession or um, our job or um, money, and we grab hold of that, and it's like it's gone. That feeling is gone. The, the things we have are gone. And so Solomon takes us through this tour to say, look, okay, here's what you need to know so that you can come back to this theme of, of fear God and keep his commandments, of understanding what life is and living and enjoying the things of life in their proper place in our lives. And as we've gotten into the second half of the book, now Solomon has keyed in on how do we live in the wisdom uh, that comes from the Lord and in the different areas of our lives. And tonight in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, we look at this theme of living under authority. And it's going to deal with the authority that we have in our world, but then also the ultimate authority that we have in our lives, and that is the Lord. But as we begin tonight, let me ask you this question. How well do you follow directions in life? Now that may depend, I suppose, on the person who is giving you the directions and how much you trust that person, right? Um, Have you ever had this experience when you're driving down the road, okay, and you tell uh, whoever the person is in the passenger seat that, you know, you can't see the directions, so you need them to tell you, and as you go by the exit, they go, oh, that's where we're supposed to get off, you know? You ever had that happen? Okay. Okay. Um, when I was in college, I had the opportunity to spend a month in the state of California on a mission trip. In different, we were in four different, three or four different churches there throughout the state of California. And the leaders of our mission team were a young married couple, and she had been on this trip to California in the past as a student, and he had not. And so this led to some very um, intense and sometimes awkward moments in our van as we traveled the roads of California because we had in our possession a GPS. Now, this is 2008. This was kind of when GPS was really becoming mainstream for the first time. You'd have these little portable things, you know, you put on your windshield or on the dash. Now we just use our phones or whatever, right? But... This, the wife had been to several of these places that we went to before, and she was convinced that oftentimes she knew better than the GPS, right? And so she would subsequently contradict what the GPS said and compel her husband to take a different route. And he, the loving and dutiful husband, would listen to her, and guess what? We would end up lost. And this would lead to marital arguments right there in the front seat of the van, you know, while, because uh, we, we just sat in the back, right, listening to them. You know, he, well, if I just listened to that, you know, we wouldn't be out here. Well, if you did the right thing, you know, just back and forth. And we're in the back just going, if you just listened to the lady in the box, we wouldn't be here, right? We'd be on time. 
and uh, we wouldn't be out in this mess. And it led us to wondering, you know, I, and, and, and praying that this little lady in the box wouldn't end their marriage in a few short weeks. Now, by the way, they're happily married. They have two kids. And I use Google Maps and trust them implicitly because of this event in my life, okay? And as we navigate our lives, we feel that need, like, okay, I need some direction here. What am I supposed to do? Which way am I supposed to, to go? And, and what am I supposed to trust? You know, we don't feel like sometimes we know which way to turn, how we make sense of current events in our lives, or what our allegiances, allegiances and duties are to certain human organizations. Solomon resi- reminds us here in Acts, I'm sorry, Ecclesiastes chapter 8 that God is our guide in life, giving us clear commands to follow and calling for our greater trust and obedience in him day by day. So what we see in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 8 is this. Godly wisdom instructs our responses to human government and directs us to trusting God, the ultimate authority over all things, even when life seems confusing. And this is a theme that has, has permeated the last few chapters, especially of Ecclesiastes, that there are some things in life. We looked last week at the realities of life. There are some things in life that don't make a lot of sense. There are some things in life that make it very hard to know what the next step is. There are some things in life that make it very difficult for us to even step back and say, well, yeah, I know. I mean, God's in control. And I, but we sometimes scratch our heads at that. And Solomon says, okay, listen, here's what wisdom does. Here's how valuable wisdom is. Here's how it informs how you live in regard to the, the human authorities God has set over, your, over you. And ultimately, this is how it informs you to live your life under God, who is sovereign over all things. This is Ecclesiastes chapter 8. So let's jump in and dive in here and see what God has to say to us tonight. And really just, I have two main sections of this chapter that I want to show you. And the first one is in verses 1 through 9. And it's where Solomon writes about how we live wisely before earthly authorities. And he sets all of this up by proclaiming wisdom's value in verse 1. He says, Who is like the wise? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. So Solomon is continuing, as he began in chapter 7, he's continuing in chapter 8 to enumerate the benefits of wisdom in the life of an individual. Specifically in this chapter, he applies wisdom to how we live our lives under the authorities God has placed in our lives, including God himself. Solomon observed earlier in this book the hardships that we face from human leaders. You may remember a message I preached, I entitled it, The Problem of Evil. And there Solomon talked about how um, that, that, that it has infiltrated those who are in power. He shows us the way that wealth twists mankind who should be serving the needs of others to serving their own ends as they sit in power. He demonstrated then the inability we have to understand our infinite God in his ways. And so Solomon calls on us once again to use wisdom which comes from the fear of the Lord and that's applied knowledge from God in how we approach those who are over us. And in fact, Solomon tells us that wisdom is of utmost value. He says in, in the first part of verse 1, who is like the wise. It's a rhetorical question that that demands the answer of, well, no one is like the wise. He's someone who stands out. Wisdom is a rare 
and precious commodity. We have observed before, we have continued to observe, that in our world there are so many people with so much knowledge, right? But they have no ounce of wisdom in their entire being. They know a lot of stuff, but they don't know what to do with it. They don't know how to use it. There are many loaded with facts, even about God, but they don't know God. And so therefore, they have no idea how to apply the truths of God to their lives. Wisdom then indeed makes a man stand out. A man's wisdom makes his face shine and the hardness of his face is changed. What is he saying here? He's saying that one who is wise is obvious to those around him. And perhaps uh, we, could, we could even illustrate that in, in, some, in some ways that we think about. When you meet someone and you consider them to be, maybe even we use the phrase sometimes, well, that person is wise beyond his years. You ever use that phrase before or heard somebody use that phrase? Uh, we usually make a note of people like that, right? Because, well, that person, I mean, they kind of stand out. Uh, when we uh, come across people who uh, are, when someone shows himself to be a wise person, we seek out that person for help and advice in our lives. I, I know in my life, when I find people that, that I say, wow, they're really wise in the things of the Lord. They understand what, what, what God says about this. They apply it to their lives. They're, they're seeking him. Uh, I make a note of people like that in my life because I want to go back to them and, and seek out their help. And so it should be the goal of every follower of God to live a wise life. Now the wise and the fool both stand out, but they stand out for different reasons. We need to make every effort with God's help to cultivate practices of wise living so that we can live in this world that we live in. So therefore Solomon here, he says, okay, if you're going to cultivate the practices of wise living, Here's how you apply that. Here is how the wise live in relation to the authorities in their lives. And he begins with the relationships we should have with the earthly authorities in our lives. In verses 2 through 7, we see the proper actions that he talks about. He says, I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him, for he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? The reality is this, no matter where you are in life, you're going to have authority figures over you all throughout your life. We are born into a family with parents over us. We work jobs with bosses that lay the ground rules. We live in local communities with laws and ordinances along with those who enforce them. We have greater leaders than these handing down laws and expectations that we are required to live by. So therefore Solomon advises the reader, and of course Solomon here is speaking in his own historical context, that he lived, they lived in a nation with a king, and guess who the king was? Solomon. I mean, here's the guy who, who's ruling over the people. Solomon speaks of the king, spoke as the king of the nation on how the reader is to keep the command of the king. Solomon was the king who had it all. 
Whatever his heart desired, he acquired. Whatever he needed to be done, he could make it happen. So he knew the value of citizens in the kingdom who rightfully respected the position of the king. He knew the way in which the world was set up. And he understand, as we understand, that God sets up rulers and God takes down rulers. He's in control. And so in Israel, God's appointed rulers, even when the people shunned God's direct rule for an earthly king, God appointed those men, and he was still in control over those things. So therefore, we show honor and respect to these rulers as they are there by God's appointment. So Solomon lays out for the reader the actions of a wise man when it comes to how he behaves himself in the presence of the king. And we'll see as we go along the broader application that we make to our lives where we are in 2024. Solomon warns that, the, that, 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 that a wise, or he tells the, wise, that tells the reader that the wise keeps the, the king's command. And then he continues on after saying, hey, we keep the commands of the king. He says, now be careful, okay? Be careful that a wise man is not one who is hasty to leave the king's presence. And we, we, maybe we read that and we think, man, what is, he, what is he talking about there? Well, what is he saying is he's, he's speaking of not looking for a quick exit out of the king's service, of shunning his rulership, of, of, of seeking to align himself against the king. Instead, he's speaking of that, that a, wise, a wise man seeks in his life to maintain allegiance to the king. Now, it is no secret that one of the things people love to do throughout life, whether it was in the time of Solomon to today, is bash people who are in authority over them. Right? It's like a pastime that, that everyone seems to enjoy. But God tells us to submit ourselves to that authority and to follow that authority. And so the, Solomon continues. He says, don't, don't be hasty to go from his presence. Don't be hasty to look for a way out of, 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 being a, 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 of showing allegiance to the king. And then he says, do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. And these thoughts go together. Solomon says that the wise should not align themselves with evil causes because the king has authority given to him by God to do that, which pleases him. So one who is is hastily exiting the king's presence, seeking to change his allegiances, he would be then tempted to align himself with another cause that maybe is seeking to overthrow the king. That's, That's the picture here. And Solomon says, hey, this is not what a wise person does. The wise does not fall in with those who are doing what is evil. Because the king's word is that which is supreme over the land. And though, I mean, he shows here, though the people may ask questions and try to change his mind, he has the final say. He says in verse 4, for the the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? This passage sounds a lot like, by the way, a passage in Daniel chapter 4. Um, when it's referring to God. Now, obviously here, Psalm was talking about a, a physical ruler. Uh, and in Daniel 4, uh, Daniel's talking about, um, about God's authority, how no one can change his mind or question him. But in the same way, this ruler exercises that authority that was given to him by the Lord. And so, therefore, the wise will keep the commands of the king. And what we come to understand is this, that one's submission to the earthly rulers that God has set up over him is directly tied to his faithfulness to God. A faithful servant of God 
is someone who is submissive to the rulers that God has set up over him in his life. And of course, we're dealing here, I guess, you know, specifically with um, the political leaders that Solomon observes here in his day. Now, as long as the law of the land does not contradict the law of God, then we do not live in conflict with these things. And we also see that a wise man doesn't keep his mouth shut all the time. He may find an appropriate time to question what the king's rulings and laws are. He says in verse 6, uh, sorry, verse 5, whoever keeps the command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him, for he does not know what is to be. For who can tell him how it will be? What Solomon is saying here is that there will be a time. The wise man will find a time and a place to question those things that might need to be questioned. But he's to do them in God's way and in God's time. Now clearly, there are things a ruler or a government might command that would require one, of the, one wise in these things of the Lord to disobey. Right? We, we look at that in the scriptures. We run across people uh, like the Hebrew midwives, uh, Daniel and his friends, uh, Peter and the apostles, that they, in their circumstances, said, look, this is what God says, this is what you say, we're going to obey God rather than man. Now, I want to make another case. I want to make an observation here that I think is important to understand. In each of these cases that you find this throughout the scriptures, these people were not uh, mounting an uprising and, and pulling together some militia to overthrow the government. They said, look, we're going to obey God rather than man. Let come what may. Knowing full well they would face persecution. Knowing full well that what was on the table. When Daniel went and prayed to God, he knew exactly what the king had said. And he didn't go pray to God and then come out and say, by the way, king, I'm going to try to overthrow you because what you said was wrong. He said, look, this is what's right. I'm going to do what's right, and I'm going to trust the Lord to sort it out. And you know what? There are going to be times, there may be times in our lives when there is something that comes out that is ungodly, and we stay, we're going to stay and do what's right, and it may not end well. But that's okay if we're obeying the Lord. But this is not always and generally the case that we face in our lives. Um, quite often, we're faced with laws and rules and things from our government, and commands, practices that we don't agree with, we don't like, or they make our lives difficult. And we have to remember, just because you don't like something doesn't mean you don't have to do it, right? I mean, you may not like the fact that you can only drive 55 miles an hour down the road. But it doesn't mean you don't have to do it, right? You may not like the fact that, you know, every year you have to do this paperwork or that paperwork to file your taxes, but it doesn't mean you don't have to do it, right? We're not talking about, well, I just didn't like that, so I've decided that's not biblical, right? We should obey those who have the rule over us, praying for them and seeking to honor the Lord in our obedience. And all the while, we can seek appropriate outlets to enact change where that, where that is found. That's living in wisdom. God does not condemn one for taking a wise approach to seek change in government's practices. And Solomon reminds us of that which he stated earlier in the book in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. He says there's a time for everything. 
So it is with our relationship to those over us in authority. We don't know what's to come, right? We can't predict what's next in our lives. We can't predict the next thing the person in authority might do over us. Such uncertainty then should drive us to live wisely before the authorities God has placed over us. We in our brains often run to the most horrible thing that could possibly happen. Well, this is what's going to happen next, but we don't know that, right? So we stay in the word of God and we live wisely. We follow him step by step. And though these things may lie heavy on us, we, and we may fear what lies ahead, God is still in control. And so we obey him by honoring those he has placed over us. These are the proper actions of a godly, obedient citizen. And man's finite nature, right, that we do not know everything, that demands that we continue to live in obedience to God and his wisdom. And he says, and so Solomon says, hey, this is what obedient trust looks like in verses 8 and 9. No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun when man had power over man to his hurt. So Solomon observes yet again the infinitesimal amount of control, knowledge, and power man actually has over life. That's what he's saying here. Again, we love control, right? We love to be in control. We love to be in control of our lives and this and that. And Solomon has reminded us time and again, you really have very little control over things in your life. He says here, we, we cannot retain our spirit, what he's talking about. We, we, we have no control over, over the day that, that our breath leaves our body. We, we have no control over that. He goes on to say, we have no control over our death. When God says that our lives are over, they're over. Solomon also uses the picture of one who is caught in war, right? There's, so here's what he's saying, right? We, there is no discharge from war. You got this guy. He's out here on the front lines. He's battling away because his king said he had to be there. And he's like, you know, I think I'm done, right? I think I'll just go home now. He has no control over that, right? He's a soldier. And if he does leave, what happens? Yeah, they probably are going to track him down and he's going to pay the price for that, right? Again, so Solomon's painting these pictures, right? That we, are, we will continue in our lives to be subjected to powers that are greater than us our entire lives. And so, giving ourselves, in verse 8, giving ourselves to wickedness in an effort to impose our control over others will bring us no deliverance from this. Solomon observed this in his life as he sought to apply his heart to understanding life. He saw man exercising power over others, which many aspire to do. But he only hurt himself. Even if one gains control over other human beings, he will not find the answers he is looking for. So, what do we have to do? We have to obediently trust the Lord's wisdom in these things. We must submit to God's leaders even when we don't understand or when we're struggling with the choices they make. And as we do, we seek to live wisely before the ruler of all things, our sovereign God. And that's the second point in the rest of this chapter tonight. Solomon says, this is how you live wisely before our sovereign God. No, no, verses 10 through 13, this is, how we, this is living out the fear of the Lord. He says, 
Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they, fe- because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. So God, who sets up kings and takes them down, Solomon again reminds us, is ultimately in control. He is the one who balances the scales. He is the one who sets the rules. You and I don't make the rules, God does. So therefore, we should live wisely before him most of all. Solomon now shows us God's mighty hand at work and calls us to live our lives in the fear of the Lord. The wicked are a constant needle in the side of those who would live righteously. The wise man is vexed by watching the wicked seeming to prosper, even rising to power. In verse 10, Solomon paints a picture of wickedness as it seems to prosper yet again. Here's a wicked man who died. Solomon tells us what he used to be like. He used to go in and out of the holy place. Right? This, he's talking about the temple, the place where God was to be worshipped. He was going in and out of the temple, yet he was still wicked. He was praised in the city where he had done evil things. Did you ever scratch your head when someone who is evil and wicked dies and people say all these nice things about him? You're like, man, you know, I can't believe people would say that. That's what he's talking about here. Even though he lived an awful life, people said good things about him. It is amazing to us that those who can do wrong can be praised by so many. And what, so what does Solomon say at the end of verse 10? This is Hevel. This is meaningless. It's, in a, it's enigmatic. It's confounding our minds. And because of this, what are people encouraged to do? When people see this happen, it encourages them to act in a wicked way, does it not? He says that in, in verse 11, right? Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. And again, look around. We look around in our world and we say, man, it's like nothing's happening to them, so they're just going to do what's wrong. They mistake the long-suffering of God as license to do what they please. Those who do evil do not always experience judgment right away. And so the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil because they think they'll get away with it. He continues in verse 12, right? Here's a sinner who compounds his sin a hundred times over, yet he prolongs his life. And so Solomon presents us here with a truth that has caused many to despair. Verses 10, 11, and 12, these hard truths have caused many people to just go, this is awful, this is frustrating. They've despair. And it's yet caused other people to do wickedness, right? I I kind of mentioned this, I mentioned this last week. I mean, you probably have known someone in your life that they were raised in church, they were raised in the things of God, and they looked around the world and said, man, that looks like fun, and they just left, because they were compelled by, uh, by this, that they saw God's long-suffering as license. I can just go do and experience what I want. And Solomon warned us about that last week. It is the seeming way of the world that the wicked get what they want, 
and never experience the judgment of God. It's the problem of evil. But just as Solomon is getting into this in verse 10 and verse 11 and then in verse 12 at the very beginning, we see that Solomon says, put the brakes on. Okay, this is what you see, but this is not reality. Right? He says, we need to think a little bit differently. Your eyes are going to tell you one thing, but that doesn't match what's really going to happen. Though a sinner may do evil a hundred times over, and though he may seem to get away with doing wrong and enjoy his life, and though people may seem to uphold him even when he is gone, Solomon says, his life is not worth living. Only those, Solomon says, who fear the Lord will benefit forever. He says it will be well with those who fear God. So that's what he says here in verse, the end of verse 12. Yet, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. And, and all throughout this book, by the way, Solomon has said this. Here's what I've observed. Here, here's what I've seen. Right? This, this is what he said here. Here's what I've looked at. Here's what we've seen in our world. Notice the, the transition here. He doesn't say he's seen this. He says what? I know this because I know God. This is a fact, and you can write it down. I know that it will not be well with the wicked. I know that it will be well with those who fear God. And yet again, Solomon points us to the long-term view. Because again, what you observe here in this life, that's short-term. All of this is going to be gone. The world, its system, its stuff, it's temporal. So Solomon says, look ahead. So what does he say? He says, it will be well with those who fear God. Those who reverence God, who give him their lives, who serve him exclusively, who order their lives as he commands, they will experience eternal joy in his eternal presence. That's a promise. And then he continues in verse 13, what will it be like for the wicked? It will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow. Why? Because he did not fear before God. In the long run, the end of the wicked will come. And their days will not be prolonged indefinitely. They will pass from this earth, and when they do, their eternity will be much, much different. They will suffer eternal separation from God. They will spend eternity paying for their sin. Why? Because they do not fear the Lord. That is the foundational difference between the wicked and the righteous, between the wise and the fool. Fearing God changes your life. It leads you to faith in God. It leads you to being controlled by the things of God because if you fear the Lord, you fear no one else. If you cast aside the fear of the Lord, living for yourself, you will find the end of your life to be that which you will fear. But those who fear the Lord, they don't fear the end of life because they know who holds the future. They live, guided and safely in his arms. That's a, that's a hopeful thing. That gives you some meaning to live for in life. When you're looking around and you're like, man, 
Uh, you don't have to look around. You just turn the TV on and watch news, right? Man, what is, the, what is going on in the world? What are we going to do about this? Maybe, I've, maybe I should try that. No, 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 no. Go back to this. Live in the fear of the Lord because this is what's coming. And by the way, it should also motivate us then. If this is the end of people who don't fear the Lord, then I should go out there and tell people, you need to listen. This is not going to last forever. You think you're getting away with this. You think this is what life is all about. You think that this is what's going to bring you joy and happiness. But there's a greater thing out there, and his name is God. His name is Jesus Christ. And he's the one you need to serve. Because people are dying and going to hell today. And we don't sit here on the sidelines laughing maniacally going, they got what they deserved. Instead, we're to, we're, to, we're to throw the arms out and say, listen, this is the truth. And you need this. And so, as we live and rest in God's sovereignty, as we see the long-term view, we can live life wisely before the Lord. And we can continue to rest in God's infinite sovereignty. And that's the rest of this chapter in verses 14 through 17. There is a vanity that takes place on earth that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this, is also, that this also is vanity. And I commend joy for man has nothing better under the sun But to eat and drink and be joyful, for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep, then I saw all the work of God that no man cannot find out, I'm sorry, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However, much man may toil in seeking. Let me back up. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. So what does Solomon do? Again, to call us to resting in God's sovereignty, he observes the hevel, the vanity, the the meaninglessness, the the enigmatic, enigmatic nature, that is a hard word to say tonight, of life. That there are righteous people who experience hard things. They experience trials, hardship, loss, and more. Simply put, what does Solomon say here? There are righteous people who experience that which we expect wicked people to experience. It seems like the wicked should be the recipients of the hardships and life's trials. However, there are wicked people who are receiving that which it seems to be what righteous people should be receiving. They, they prosper. They enjoy full health. They seem to sail through life. Solomon says this is vanity. It's part of the hevel. But at the same time, it is also hevel. You see, what, what it is, is it's not real. It's an illusion. It's not going to last. So what does Solomon say to do? You look around, you see these things in life. What does he say in verse 15? I commend joy for man. He says this, he has nothing better to do under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. Now, this is not a call for hedonism or this is not a resignation statement. Right? He's, he's not saying, hey, listen, 
the world is doomed. Just enjoy what you got in life. That's not what he's saying here. Instead, I believe verse 15 is a call for submission. Is a call for us to submit ourselves to the Lord and trust his sovereignty. To say, look, I don't understand it. I don't get it. I'm not in control, and I'm okay with that. I'm going to trust the Lord with my life, and I'm going to follow him. No matter what we experience, we can look for joy, and we should look for joy in the Lord. Because joy isn't dependent on our circumstances. It's dependent on God. You see, if your happiness and your joy in life is tied to what's going on in your life, it's not true joy. That's just a fleeting feeling that's going to be great some days and bad other days. But if your joy is tied to your God, then you can be joyful even in hard times. When we experience good times, we can be joyful. When we experience hardship, we can still rejoice in the Lord. This is resting in the infinite sovereignty of God. And because living wisely before God means trusting him completely because he knows the end from the beginning. He is in control and he doesn't abandon those who trust in him. Solomon sought answers for these things. In verses 16 and 17, he kind of lists the journey of his life finding, looking for answers. He gave himself to chasing down the answers of life, making it his life's pursuit. And when he did, he saw the work of God. And what he saw was this. You are not going to be able to figure out God's work under the sun. It's too vast. It's too deep. It's too infinite. You can toil your life away trying to figure it out, but it's not going to happen. You're not going to be able to sort out the ways of God. You're not going to be able to piece everything together and make it make sense. You know, quite frankly, you're working with less than what you need. What do we say? You're not playing with a full deck, right? Why? Is that because we're dumb? No, no, no. It's because we're finite. So you and I think in our finite uh, minds, in our temporary bodies, that we are going to wrestle out all of the truths of an infinite, eternal God. Now you tell me, how's that going to go? We're just not going to get there, right? Yeah, good luck. (laughs) Go for it, right? Even though a wise man, I love what Solomon says here, okay? This is is the, the statement that finishes the whole thought here. In verse, uh, verse 17, even though a wise man claims to know what? He cannot find it out. Even though a wise man claims he's got it figured out, Solomon says you can't. And listen, some people think they can fit God in their box. There are theological systems built around this. We have an answer to every question. Their minds are looking to understand everything, and so they wrestle themselves to answers. They say, this helps us understand God and his ways. But the wisest, of man, the wisest man on earth calls shenanigans on that. He says, you could say you got it figured out, but you don't. You've never figured out God. You don't know why he does what he does. You don't have the answers to life. You may claim to, but it isn't possible. So what are we supposed to do? Trust God, rest in him, obey him. Fear God, keep his commandments. And come to this realization. In a world of heaven, God is our hope. 
And so as we live under the authority that God has placed in our lives, we live in a wise way that honors God. And as we live under the authority of our almighty God, we live in the fear of the Lord and we rest in his infinite sovereignty. Godly wisdom instructs our responses to human government and directs us to trusting God, the ultimate authority over all things, even when life seems confusing. God's wisdom helps us navigate this life with a godly, proper perspective. And in this life, we will find ourselves under many authorities. And how we approach and respond to those authorities is important to God. God cares about how you respond to the authorities he's placed in your life. He calls on us to use divine wisdom and respond to them in a way that honors him. And in so doing, what are we doing? When we respond to the authorities God has placed in our life in a godly way, we are exhibiting our trust in God. Because the way you show God, you, the, the way our trust comes out is in obedience. If you say you trust God and you don't obey God, something's wrong there. The connection isn't quite made. And if you want an illustration of that, uh, just read uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, anything about the children of Israel, right? Who every time they got out of, okay, we're not going to trust God, what did they go and do? They went and disobeyed God. God is the ultimate authority over all mankind. He sets the rules. He's the judge. He's in control. Therefore, we must give ourselves to following him and trust his sovereign hand. And if we do this, we can live our lives joyfully, let come what may. Because we are secure in his hand for all of eternity. I don't know if you realize this, but 2024 is an election year. Did you know that? And I'm just going to tell you right now, because it's an election year, it's going to be a wild ride. It always is. It doesn't matter. It always is. Because we live in a sinful, fallen world. And you're going to hear things over the next six, seven, eight months. You're going to go, oh man, what do we do now? What do we do now? What do we do now? The same thing. Fear God and keep his commandments. Trust him. Rest in him. Pray. Depend on him. Because he is the one who secures us. Father, thank you for the day you've given us. Thank you for the power of the word of God to change our lives. Thank you for uh, the wisdom that is available to all who will trust in you and seek after you. And Lord, we ask that tonight you would help us uh, to be people who are consumed with living in the wisdom of God. That you would help us to follow you that you would help us to prioritize a relationship with you. And that you would help us to cultivate that relationship by spending time with you each day. And coming before you. Giving you the honor and the glory that you are due. Lord, we admit, along with Solomon tonight, there's some things in life we don't understand. There's some things about the world that just seem really upside down to us who would know God. And we... We admit that it causes us to struggle. It causes us to maybe even doubt and wrestle with the things of God and the things of the Bible. Lord, we pray that you would help us uh, to calm our hearts, uh, to find calmness in our hearts by trusting in you and you alone. And you would help us to see, uh, see you as you are, our sovereign God who is always in control. Thank you for this wonderful truth. And Lord, we pray as we go forth this week, 
that you would help us to live these things out, that we'd find joy in serving you. In your name we pray, amen.